Hi, my name is Rachel Luther, and welcome to my Labrador podcast, Put the Kettle On, where I have a yarn about growing up and living in Labrador from both young and old. Let these stories warm up the cockles of your heart as we share in the rich oral history about our big land. Because one time I did this. I forgot to press record. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I always make sure <laughs> I see the little red dot and we're recording. So yeah. we're live. Okay. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Rachel. How are you? I am quite well, thank you. It's a beautiful morning at this part of Ontario. What about where you are? Yeah, it's great. We've had actually a few good days and we're, temperatures are running around 22 and sunny. So good temperatures. Yeah. It, it's uh, been a lot better weather here than down home, eh? Yes. Yeah. I saw they had snow a couple of days ago or whatever. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been rough. Been rough down home for sure. Weeks. It seems that they never saw the sun hardly at all. And they might see it maybe on Monday for a few hours and then down into the bad weather again. Yeah. I guess uh, I have a sister on the island too. And she's saying it's been cold and rain and fog and. All the good, normal stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Shouldn't come to as any surprise. So no. um, how about we start off with introducing yourself for people who might know, not know who you are. So you're Dave Bradley. And where right. are you from? Indian Cove. So I basically have spent my young years in Indian Cove. Uh, part of the time on White Point. And then I went away to go to school. And so at that point, I basically was only back in the summers or whatever for a while until I graduated. So uh, so basically uh, in Indian Cove, when, I, when we were there, uh, it was around the early resettlement days. So initially, um, you know, it was a busy place in the summertime, but in the wintertime, a lot of people either went to Mary's Harbor and one of my uncles went to Lodge Bay. So uh, there was a lot of winters. There was just three families there. It was uh, us. Uh, our family was uh, Uncle Art, which is Carl's father, and Uncle Doug, which you probably know, had a store there in Indian Cove and, uh, and, and his family. And so a lot of the time, there wasn't um, like a lot of schooling or anything or whatever. Like a teacher would come and I mean, I'm trying to remember it. I don't have clear memories of a lot of it because I was quite young. Uh, but from what I recall, I don't know if we ever had a full year of having a teacher there sort of thing. And I think a lot of the years, uh, my dad and my uncles would actually pay the teacher to come and, and teach for, for a few months. So quite different from what I've heard from your experience in Fox Harbor. <laughs> Very different in Fox Harbor. Yeah. And, and really the teachers that they had at that time, they might've had only grade four or five. Like they wouldn't have had like a teaching degree. They would have just known probably how to read or write. Right. Yeah. Um, like I was talking to my sister last night, who was two years older than me. And she said like Teresa Holly from Fox Harbor was there one winter. And at the time, I'm not even sure if Teresa would have even gone to university at that point. She did later, but I'm not sure. She was probably just finished high school at that point, I would think. Yeah. Um, and so so a lot of times it was broken. So in terms of, like, I know one year uh, we had to set up in my grandfather's living room 
and and we were there with a teacher from uh, Little, from I think he was from uh, Newfoundland or whatever. But it was uh, it was quite a quite an interesting uh, start, right? And like I think it was that way up to about grade four. Uh, we had all of that. And at that time, you know, there were no skidoos or anything like that. I mean, the transportation was dog team. And uh, dad had an old uh, autobogging, they called it. It was a great big rid thing. And it had a motor sitting on the back of it. It was uh, later uh, when after it, Guy Rumble in Mary's Harbor bought it and had it there for a few years. And I understand somebody from Lab City has since purchased this and has got it restored or whatever. Nice. But it had a big rubber track with cleats on it. And I know, like, for example, the uh, the track broke and mm-hmm. dad made one out of uh, cowhide and wow. put, it, put it on. So make it work or whatever. Ingenuity, uh, right? So, like, oh, yeah. 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 He used to spend a lot of time also. He would uh, do what they called a mail run. And so he would go to Mary's Harbor and uh, uh, basically pick up the mail and bring it out to Battle Harbor and stuff like that, because that's where the post office was at the time. And so we fly into Mary's Harbor and he'd go and bring it out by dog team or whatever. And uh, from what I understand in the early years, uh, my grandfather and some of my uncles used to actually do a run by dog team right up to Fortho and back down along the coast. That'd be a long haul, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, with, with a dog team or whatever. And uh, they're in uh, Forto. There's a big point of land called the Battery. I don't know yep. if you remembered or not. But it's uh, like, I guess, sometimes you'd have to go over that. And sometimes you'd be able to go around on the belly cart or around the, uh, around the edges of it. So it was quite, uh, quite a challenging time in those days for them. Well, and really, like, how would they know the weather? Like, did they have weather patterns? Like, you could go and how did you know if there was going to be a storm coming down? Probably just looking at the sky, right, and guessing. I know my grandfather in later years had a little uh, barometer he used to have on his shelf, and it would say it's, it's fair rain or whatever, right, because as the pressure would drop. So yeah. he used to look at that, and he'd say, well, the glass is down, so we're going to get some some bad weather or whatever, right? Oh, that reminds me. Sometimes they used to make uh, these barometers out of the guts of partridges. Yeah, I've never... Uh, they blowed up some part of a bird and it would dry out. And then as the pressure changed, the gut of the bird would change. Now, I don't know who taught us that or what, but uh, they did make something to tell the weather out of a bird. Now, I wonder if anybody... There was know. something called a crop in the part reaching that, right? That you could blow up almost like a balloon from what I, yeah. what I understand, yeah. Yeah, and that's what they would use to tell the weather, I think. I wonder oh, yeah. if anybody knows, just send us a message so we can maybe get them on and uh, learn yes. a bit more about that and find out the origins. But now, now that we're talking about it, yeah, I remember that yeah. that's how they would, um, I wonder if they did that, like how they figured that out, you know? Like how did you yeah. figure out that pressure is how you tell when the weather is yeah. going to change or whatever the sky looked like? crazy yeah. and as, uh, as as the kids got older then they all went to saint anthony right to the and my siblings and some of my cousins and that uh, stayed in the orphanage in saint anthony right and to, to go to school there and uh, i don't know for sure if they paid for that or if it was free for them to go and stay there to go to school but i mean there was no high schools on the on the coast and that uh, they might have done the mary's harbor at the time but i don't think so i think it was pretty well anybody wanted to f- get a higher in grade eight had to pretty well go away, go somewhere to do that. Mm-hmm. 
What type of school supplies did you have? Well, obviously the, the scribbler the, and pen, pens and pencils. We had all that. And the, the books were there and we had to buy our books, right? Uh, mm-hmm. They were purchased. They weren't provided for you. And But we had, uh, like, I remember, I still remember some stuff from my grade four geography, which was about different places around the world. It was world geography. And we talked about, you know, uh, somebody that was up north and how they were living and eating the seals and things. And then somebody in Africa digging up the yams and different things and that they were using for eating. So there was, there was a lot of that type of stuff. And obviously the math and the English or whatever. Uh, we never did learn English properly, but, <laughs> but <laughs> that's besides the point. <laughs> besides the point. Yeah. Uh, my dad had a slate. Did you have a slate too? I don't recall having a having a slate. No. Yeah, well, I remember probably had them as toys, but I don't remember having them in school because we did have like the paper books. Paper stuff. Yeah, yeah. Your dad, I think, is a couple of years older than I am, probably. Oh, let me see. I got to do the math. Um, mom was 33 when she had me and I'm 39. So 39 and three is two 42 and then 72 dad's 70. Yeah. So I'm, I'm turning 66 next week. So yeah, yeah so a few years younger, but, um, and like I said, I was trying to recall whether we had the schools in the, in the fall or in the spring. I know there were some in the winter, but I don't know if a teacher would come for a while and then leave again or what was happening, but, and maybe there was some there for the full year. Like I said, I was in my early, early grades or whatever. And by the time we got to grade five, uh, there wasn't any school at all. Mm -hmm. So that year, myself and my oldest sister, who was doing grade eight and I was doing grade five, uh, was this lady out in white point, um, that we used to go out to her house and we were doing correspondence course. Now, in theory, she was helping us, but when I think about it, I'm not sure she really did that much. I think she basically put us in a bedroom and made us stay there all day and work. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but that was uh, that was up grade five, and in grade six, uh, that was at that winter we were the only family uh, in Indian Cove. We were there all by ourselves, and the situation was. In a few years before that, uh, dad had taken a job at White Point. He was the handyman or whatever. And uh, so my grandfather was living with us, but he was very, very sick. And apparently dad had asked him if he wanted him to quit his job and move into Lodge Bay with everybody else. Because at that point was when Uncle Art and Uncle Doug also moved. And uh, he said, no, he didn't, he didn't want to move. So we were there. Mom was there with me in grade uh, I was 11 years old. My younger brother was five and an old man who was bedridden, basically dying. And she was in the community by herself all during the daytime. <laughs> and it was just, just and it could be in the middle of polar bear season, right? Like what oh, would you yeah. have done if a polar yeah. bear happened in your place? Yeah. And I remember one day my grandfather took very sick and my mother wanted me, like I said, I was 11, wanted me to go out to Wheat Point and get dad. So I went out to try to start, at that point, we had a skidoo, tried to start the old skidoo. I couldn't get it going. So she was there all day wondering if he was going to survive or not. The dad came home in the evening. It was just uh, like, I can't imagine the stress she was under in uh, in that situation, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, they're very strong women. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Strong but I mean, otherwise, we were, 
I mean, similar, like, you know, like everybody else along the coast, got your final groceries in the fall at the last coastal boat. Mm-hmm. And you had a root cellar to store all your vegetables and things in and eggs and those type of things. And I know, like, by the time spring come around, you'd be breaking an egg, see if it was still good before you could eat it type thing, right? So I think they still do that down home. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. And for a long time out here, that was part of, like, how I used to cook I always used to break my egg in a bowl. I just thought that that's what everybody did. Right. I did, took it for granted that some people actually get fresh eggs all the time yeah. and their eggs aren't gone bad. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But yeah. what's interesting in Europe, they, uh, they don't wash the eggs. Yeah. So you go into a grocery store, they're actually on the shelf where everything else, they're not in a refrigerator, right? Because there's a protection on them when, they, uh, when the hens lay them that in Canada and in North America, they put them in an acid bath and wash it all off, right? So... We have to refrigerate them. Progress. Progress. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. what what years when you grew up in uh, in Fox Harbor was your um, like in the your teenage years? Would that be in the 90s or? Yeah. So yeah. I was born in 82. So I graduated in 2000. Okay. And so I um, I spent the 90s. So we would have done distance education. And right. so all of my courses, like math, French, physics, chemistry, they were all done online and there was nobody supervising us for our labs or if they were, I never felt supervised. <laughs> right. And maybe that's what like, I was saying about correspondence course, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah they, I was just put into a room and expected to do the work and we yes. did, right? We did it because right. that was what yeah. was expected of us and, and our labs, like we did it, but it was expected of us. And I find like with now in the context of the pandemic and the isolation that we're feeling and the homeschooling and everything, I find that um, the kids are capable of a much more than what we uh, give them credit for. And they have really adapted in some cases to this different way of life. Like my son does not care about putting on a mask. He just puts it on and he don't even take it off until I tell him to. He just yeah. puts it on. There's no, not, not much about it. You know, he goes about his day with his new routines and schedules. Yes. He has to wash his hands all the time and that type of thing. But yeah. I think that they are way more resilient than uh, we give them credit for. You know, Well, if we look at the, the way we grew up along the Labrador coast. And then I see just people, while well, the kids need, need schooling for the mental development and they, they uh, you know, they're all going to be damaged by all of this. And I'm not sure if that's the case because like I said, they are very resilient in terms of what they're doing and, and everything else. And we were able to carve out a living coming up in that environment or whatever. Right. And like I said, no, I had very little schooling in my early years. Um, like I said, that, that year I was doing a correspondence course myself, and my brother, we were at our dining table and mom was out doing our work or whatever. And we were there and we were expected to do the work. And at that point, mom had like, you know, grade eight or something. So she couldn't get to the point where she could help with a lot of the math and stuff like that. So you sort of had to figure it out. And, and we were successful in terms of passing the grades and things like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Uh, I feel the same way about school and everything and about like, you know, learning isn't just something that happens from the grade until the time you're four years old until you're 18. Like learning is lifelong. And as long as you can read, you can learn how to do anything. Yes. Yeah. Very much so. And uh, it was quite, uh, quite interesting. Um, So in my early years, dad was fishing, obviously, or whatever. And then in 
about 64, he went out to White Point. And like in Indian Cove, we had no running water, no plumbing, right? So even as a young kid, you had a lot of chores and everything that you had to do also, right? Yeah. Like, and I don't know where it started, but I know by the time that I was about seven or eight, I had a brother who was four years older than me. So he was probably 11, 12 type thing. We were using a power saw to saw up wood and then storing and splitting the wood and storing it for the winter, right? And we had this mm. this shed that we just keep every summer. Our job was to fill that to the uh, to the rafters, you know, with different with the wood for the winter sort of thing. And mm-hmm. I mean, that was our only heat was wood. So you and it was you were cutting what the dry wood, right, which was stuff that had been burnt over years earlier. So it didn't really last long. Like if you're getting oak or something nowadays, right? It it burned mm-hmm. fast, so it uh, there was a lot of work doing that. Uh, we had a like a forty-five gallon drum in our porch off our house, and it was also a job to keep that filled with water all the time, right? So we had a well out there, and like I said, uh, you no, know, at seven or eight years old, we were bringing in buckets of water and filling up the barrel, and especially on laundry day, it was oh, uh, yeah. it was there was a lot of water use. Yep. Yeah. And uh, it really makes you think about conservation in a way that is real, right? Yes. Like yeah. conserving water, reusing your resources. Uh, yeah. And there's other like things that people don't think about. Like when you finish a job where like that, you do get this dopamine release, right? Like there is right. this feel good chemical that you get by helping others that you don't necessarily get by playing a video game. <laughs> you yeah, know? that's like, right. Yeah. You yeah, know, very and much- it's transferable skills. I mean, learning how to stow up wood, it is, uh, it is like there's, there is an act to it. So right, it doesn't yes. all tumble down and there's problem solving and learning how things fit. And But can you imagine today allowing a seven or eight year old to grow out to split wood with an ax or, you know, use a power saw or something like that? I mean, you know, they're not allowed to move off the front step, right? Sort of thing, right? And- yeah, I had uh, my daughter at work with me yesterday. And she's four and well, she's at my work and there was nobody else in the store and the kids are allowed to like go into my office and do whatever. Right. And the pharmacist who's from the city was there and he said, he said, where's your daughter? I was like, I don't know. My kids are free range. They're in yeah. the store somewhere. They'll be fine. <laughs> okay. yeah. She's not yeah. going to leave the store. She's okay. I, I don't need to look for her all the time. It's, right. Yeah. It's, and it's, even it's, at it's, home, the same thing. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's really a different environment, right? Uh, that their kids are growing up in or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's quite interesting. Um, so basically, like, I mean, we had an outhouse hanging out over the wharf, so it flushed every high tide, right? <laughs> 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 and, and you know, the, uh, the fishing, and that, like I say, in the summer, you get the smell from the, from the, where they're cleaning fish and that, but the end of summer, it was quite a strong uh, odor. And I think for people come to visit, it must be just terrible because you grew up with it, you're used to it, right? But for yeah. people visiting, it must be uh, really bad. Well, you know, when you ask to use the facilities, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, but yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, I used to work, watch birds one summer. It was before I decided to become a pharmacist. Didn't quite know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I was in university at Memorial and I was enrolled in a Bachelor of Science doing a double, at the time, a double major in um, biology and chemistry because I, I love science. And so I thought, well, if I'm going to do biology, I should find out what field work is like, because I suspect if I'm going to have a job as a biologist that I would be in the field. So, you know, uh, 
determined student went around with all my resumes to, to the biology department, got laughed out of many places because I had no higher, like I was mm-hmm. very low in terms of my biology uh, courses. So I never really had the skills yet to work in some of the labs, but I mean, I don't care about getting laughed at. I get laughed at all the time. And so I found this one lady who worked in biopsychology who had a place out in Great Island, Great Bay Island, Great, kind of by, it's where there's, they do all the whale tours outside of St. John's. Yeah, those bay bulls out there. Yeah, like Whitless Bay, Whitless Bay Whitless in that bay, area. Yeah. yeah. And we were out on an island out there. And I thought, well, gee, I grew up in Labrador. I can go out into an island and live out there for the summer. But it was not what I had expected because, like, the island is all cliffs because it's a nesting site for birds. So in order to get on the island, you had to actually rock climb. They had a rope hanging down over a cliff. Okay. And you had to stay in the boat. And you know how swells come, like, in groups of threes? So you'd watch the swells. You have one, two, three. And then you're like, okay, jump. And you'd have to grab hold to the rope and scrabble up over the rocks. But then you had to get all your supplies up over that. And uh, in the room that we were staying in, it was just a two-room plywood little cabin. And uh, they had no running water, but they also had, like, no way to get water. So you had to carry your water. And they would, like, sometimes just wipe the dishes and not wash them. And, or, like, use, like, water. Like, I one time I was, like, because I was so grossed out about it. Uh, they used water. I saved water that we had the past cooked pasta in to rinse the dishes before we wash them so that they could actually get clean. Yeah. But then they used it to like actually wash the dishes, water that we used to cook pasta. And I was like, Oh, this is just too gross. Even for me. Like, yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> I can't even do this. And uh, so the outhouse and getting back to why this, I thought about the story is that uh, like, at least at home that you would build the outhouse over something that eventually right. the poop would get washed away. Yeah. But they just had to poop in a bog. Yeah. And it was never washed away. And so it was very gross. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like going to a porta potty or something, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. But like years. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That was really gross. Yeah. But yeah, I wouldn't, I didn't actually, at the end of that summer, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to switch everything over and I'm going to become a pharmacist because <laughs> yeah. this type of work's not for me. I thought I was cut out for it, but I was not. So what years or what ages were you when you're at White Point? Because your dad moved out there probably in the early mid seventies, right? Yeah. But I actually never have no memory of living on White Point. So okay. when I was born in April, that fall, they moved over to Fox Harbor. Okay. So I have no memories. In fact, uh, the only memories I have of White Point is going over there for boil-ups. And so that was when the wharf was there and we'd go over for boil-ups and we'd go over to um, pick berries because mom knew where all the good berry spots were over there. And we used to get the biggest berries over in White Point. And uh, there was seaweed that used to grow down in a cove that was edible. And so we used to go over there to get the seaweed to, to eat the seaweed maybe a couple times a year. Right down where the dock was in that area, yeah. It was seaweed that had like a long stalk yeah. up through the middle and then waves out to the side. Yeah. And yeah. the stalk in the middle was edible. And then there used to be these other flowers that would grow in the rocks that had yellow flowers on top and then like little pointy leaves. Okay, you had to take the point of the leaves off, but the green leaves were edible. Okay. There used to be sea peas too that used to grow over there, but. I didn't really like to taste it in, 
but yeah. um, that's what I remember of White Point. Like, I don't remember much now. I know mom and dad had ducks out on White Point yeah. and for eggs, to have fresh eggs and stuff. And there was a catwalk and mom taught Martin school for grade kindergarten because there was no school there. So she homeschooled him for that year. And then they moved over to Fox Harbor. So all my memories about White Point is just going out there in the summertime. Okay. Same thing with Battle Harbor. My memories about Battle Harbor is that Battle Harbor was being restored. So we used to go over there with me and Melanie would go over and stay at Miriam's place. And we, or we'd stay at the bunkhouse sometimes. And I love Battle Harbor. I still love going over there. Yeah. It's not the same feeling as when you, when you're younger and you can go over there and just crawl over to rocks. You didn't have to tell anybody you were there. There was no formality about it. You just was there to visit with people, right? Now it's but, a bit formal, a bit different. Yeah, my experience at Battle Harbor was probably a little different from the point of view because, like I said, in the, my young years, Dad was fishing, so we'd go over there and they would, that's where they'd go and they'd fill up their boat with salt and bring it up for salting the fish and, and go over and then in the fall, that's where they would take their fish to sell it, right? And so you go down there, but anytime you go down there and you could go up to the store and get, and they had this wooden cabinet with a glass cover on it that used to keep a big circle of cheese in it. And the, sir, the cheese, from what I remember, it must have been like almost a, a foot and a half, almost in terms of diameter, this big cheese. And you go down there and you could get, they'd cut a wedge off or whatever, right? You'd buy a wedge of it. And I don't know what it was or what it was like, but from memory, it was exceptionally good. Now, maybe because that was the only cheese, fresh cheese we got, but, but man, it was, uh, it was uh, always fun to doing that type of thing. Same thing with ice cream. When I was growing up, we used to make ice cream in ice cream in the spring of the year. Yeah. So I bought an ice cream maker and I tried the same recipe that we used to have, but it was not the same taste as no? what I had when I was growing up. And I thought, hmm. And then somebody said, maybe you've just had better ice cream since then. <laughs> well, probably memory too, right? It's like yeah. all these things you'd think back to them. They're probably, you remember them being a lot better than maybe they actually were, right? And so, <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, we use the same thing. We had a hand cranked ice cream maker and you'd fill it up with ice on the side and salt, right? And, and let the salt water run out through the little hole inside of it and just crank it. Mm -hmm. uh, my brother still has the old ice cream maker uh, and he said the hoops are all rusted. So he's going to see if you can get somebody to make some hoops and put back on it. But he was wondering what our recipe was for and he couldn't remember, but obviously it was carnation milk. Yeah. And condensed milk. Condensed milk too. Okay. Yeah, Condensed milk was in it. I probably got that recipe because uh, my mom, I would have written it down. I have a recipe book for, like I always make hot cross buns, you know, every, yeah. every good Friday. So I have a recipe book with the, the good old recipes in it that is from home. And so, well, really at home, the way people cook, you don't really have recipes, right? No, no. You just kind of do it on memory, but. Yeah. We but, try to get some recipes from mom, but I mean, you're always like, you know, a pinch of this and a little bit of that. and. <laughs> Yes. And then when you're making it, you're like, oh, gee, I forgot that. Yeah. People ask yeah. me for recipes, too. And I'm like, I don't know. I probably couldn't even make that again if I tried. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, so I was going to ask you um, what kind of fish your father had. What kind of fish did he fish? Was it all well, just it all, fish? All cod, cod and salmon? Yeah. Yeah. I guess like sometimes in the fall, you'd fish for herring, but you'd use that for bait for the trolls and things. 
more than anything else. I mean, you'd salt some of them or whatever for, for personal use. Yep. Uh, for the, for the winter time and things, but uh, mainly it was uh, cod and salmon. Yeah, mm-hmm. crabs and things that we just threw overboard, threw it away, right? Because it's get tangled in the nets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Funny. and then uh, like after we went to White Point, uh, I used to sometimes go and uh, you know put out with, with dad and put out salmon nets and and do some cod jigging and stuff like that and. When I went away to the school, I mean, that was the income or the funds for me to go to school was what we used to catch in the summertime, right? So, yeah. Yeah. So, so basically, like you were talking about education earlier, mm-hmm. like in grade seven, I think dad hired Teresa Holloway again to come out to White Point for two or three months for myself and my brother. Yep. And then in grade eight, I was, uh, I guess I was 13. I went up and stayed in Lodge Bay with my uncle Paul and went to one room school up there. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had brought in a teacher from England to, to teach us in a one room school. Uh-huh. And it was um, uh, basically like, I'm not sure how many kids were there, but there seemed to be a lot of them. So, I mean, he was trying to teach the whole school right from kindergarten to grade nine. <laughs> and uh, like, I don't know how he could do anything, but, Again, I don't remember. You were given assignments like take your math book, walk through, go through pages 25, yeah, 26. And do right? it. And, and do shut it. up about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 What about the curriculum? Where do you think they got the curriculum from? Do you think that would have come from the government or? I think from Newfoundland, yeah. Yeah. So we grew up in, in like for me, like I did grow up post Newfoundland joining Canada, right? Mm-hmm. And but it wasn't many years before that when they didn't have any of the social network or social programs that people had in later years, right? There's no unemployment, there's no welfare or anything, right? So, I mean, there's a lot of people up there. If they didn't get fish and get lucky, they they were went went hungry during the winter time, right? Would people actually go hungry though, or would people help each other? Well, they would help each other as much as they could, but there there was still limited in what. I mean, there were some very poor families up there, right? Because they never made any money fishing, right? Because if it was a good year for fishing, I think the price got adjusted. So they didn't have to pay them too much, right? It yep. was the, the merchants who made the money from the fish, right? Not the fishermen, right? Yep. And I know from talking to some of my uncles, a lot of them don't have very pleasant memories of Battle Harbor at all because all they saw was hard work and getting ripped off, Right. Uh, and, uh, so they, I know I've heard some say, you just hated going down there in some ways, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wouldn't be good memories, right? No. And I know my grandfather, uh, one year, I think this is when Bain Johnson, uh, was running Battle Harbor, but he went down there and refused to sell him his fish. So he went and he got in contact with somebody, uh, in the, up in the street somewhere. I think Allen's were their name to come down with a schooner and collect some fish. So they collected his, but they also collected from other people in the community. And apparently that fall, he was called into St. John's to the office of Bain Johnson. And from what I, I believe, Joey Smallwood's also participating in that, almost threatened them, right, to, to don't go doing this type of stuff, right? Yes, but he was one of the, people get a hit. Yeah, he was one of the few there in the community that could actually read and write. So because a lot of them couldn't do that. So 
they basically went down to the Battle Harbor and they ran up credit all summer, right? Uh, yep. That and then when they sold their fish, they would do a balance of the books. And sometimes I think at the end of the year they still owe the uh, the company money, right? They they still have more credit than the, than the fish they had. Yep. So they had no money to buy anything or to buy food supplies, right? So or even plan because if you don't have, an, if you're always con- con- thinking about like what you're going to eat that day right. and how you're going to keep things warm, you cannot plan for your future. No, 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 you can't. And, uh, and I think that was the difficult part for a lot of them. Right. And, uh, and that was the reason I know, like my father, like I said, he, he got a, in a way, a lucky break because he did get a job on white point and got a, a steady salary income. Right. I mean, that was just a whole foreign concept to them because he was always very interesting. Uh, times of trying to do things like i know he worked on the the air force site in fox harbor when they were building it he moved his family to cartwright one year when they're building a base down there and uh that's where actually one of my sisters was born in cartwright he just went down there for the winter so he could earn some money uh Mm -hmm. before the fishing started the next year right so Hmm. yep that's the only way you could have really gotten ahead back then I'm just taking a look at my I, my recipe book. Don't have it, and I just search my email quickly. But I'll get that recipe for you, okay, from mom, and I'll email it to you, okay, at uh, at that one. Um, so thinking about how we grew up and how isolated it was, and that time, like in the winter time, with your mom having to take care of a dying hmm. dying father-in-law, I guess, and and you kids, like, how do you think the isolation was like then versus the isolation now? A lot more isolation then, right? Because we were we were in that community. The only people left on the island were the people working in White Point, and we were like three miles by land away, right? So, in the changing of seasons, the only way you could get was to walk, right? And like that year, I said I was in grade five with my sister. There's a lot of days we actually walked out to White Point three miles out, three miles back, right, to to, uh, to set in the, the room and do the correspondence course, right? Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah. So that that isolation was, was there, but I, like, even for me growing up, there was nobody in the community that was my age, and I guess we all had our, like, little chores to do, but we also had free some free time, and, like, i think I spent most of the time playing by myself pretty well. You know, I had a boat to go down to call sailing boat in the beach and, and doing those type of things, right. Or roaming the hills or whatever. Right. Or sometimes out, you know, I said picking berries or something like that. Uh, you know, quite often on a Sunday morning, we'd go up on the hill behind and pick the black, we call them blackberries, crowberries, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, mom would make a pudding going to have with our Sunday dinner sort of thing. Right. So, yeah, you know, that type of stuff. But uh, but there was a lot of time spent like as a kid just alone. Um, there was a couple of kids I played with occasionally, but they one from was younger. So, uh, I don't know if you remember people, but this was Donald Rumbled uh, uh, from like they used to go to Mary's Harbor. I play with him a little bit, but generally you were you were alone most of the time. And and like my cousins were all girls. And, uh, and so, as I said, there was a lot of times you're just playing alone sort of thing. As you've aged, how has that affected you? I don't think it has. 
like I don't see any negative effect from it. I'm probably maybe not a socialist some other people, maybe because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I don't need a lot of people around me to survive and to be happy. Um, and that may be part of, part of that, uh, of learning to, to live by yourself. So from the pandemic perspective and that, I mean, we've been extremely careful in terms of what we're doing, but like for me personally, mentally, it hasn't affected me. I mean, I think that the, the sad part is not being able to visit to got some grandchildren and that, and I got a young grandson who's you know, probably about 20 months now. And I haven't seen him since his birthday last year in August. Right. So that's, that's the part that that's that bothers me that not being able to watch him develop and grow. Um, I have two other grandchildren, but last year in March, they live in Toronto. So last year in March, they came uh, here for three weeks when Toronto got bad and they're both working from home. So, you know, we could help with the kids and my wife is mainly doing that to help them last year as they're trying to develop the virtual learning and that. So that three weeks turned into six months. So they went back in September. So we got to spend time with them. And then we hadn't seen them from September until a couple of weeks ago. They, after schools closed, they isolated for about three weeks and they moved back in a couple of weeks ago. And so they're here now. So we get to spend time with them. But the, uh, the other grandson, I don't get to see really. And uh, because where we are traveling, we aren't doing those type of things. And they live in London. So it's quite, yeah. a, quite a hike from here. I find that the difference of being isolated <coughs> on the coast of Labrador versus being isolated out here now, uh, the difference for me is that, like, normally you could do those things. Like, normally you could go and yeah. you could go and see them. Whereas when you grew up in Labrador, there was really no choice. Like that was right. there was no choice. And I think what makes the pandemic harder is that the choices are taken away instead of not ever knowing there was a choice. Right. That's yeah, I, and I, I guess I, it's interesting you should say that because uh, after I graduated college, I went to work in Goose Bay. I spent six years there. And when you're in Goose Bay time, there was no roads, right, from Churchill or whatever. There. And so in order to go out, you either had to fly out initially. And at the later years I was there, they ran the ferry out to Lewisport. From Goose Bay. So you either had to do that or in the wintertime you had to fly out. After I left Goose Bay, I went to Gander for two years and I felt more isolated in Gander than I did in Goose Bay because you couldn't get off the island, right? And you didn't have the same concept that I'm going to fly if I go because you had the ferry and all that stuff. But in some ways I felt more isolated there than I did in Goose Bay because in Goose Bay, I guess it's all in your mentality, right? That you're for me to go, I have to fly, right? Yeah. And then also, like, in Goose Bay, you probably knew a lot of people because people from yes. the coast would have been in there. So you would have had a right. different social network than out in Gander. And all the people you were working with, you partied with, you know, we were all young at the time. So, you know, you got together, you know, on the weekends or whatever in somebody's house and had a party and those type of things, right? So. Oh, yeah. Goose Bay was a happening place back when the yes. base was in full swing, you know? Yes. It would have yeah. felt like more like a metropolis than Gander would have because yeah. of the base. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and in the last years I was there, I had a membership to the uh, to the uh, American uh, Sergeant's Mess. So they'd be always putting on like Christmas, New Year's parties and stuff. 
And I, I knew a couple of people that were working with the officers that worked with the Air Force that were traffic controllers there. And we used to hang out with them. So we'd go to them, to the officers' mess and things, right? And uh, those type of places. So you had all of that to do there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I found when I moved up to North Bay from, so when I graduated from university and I left all my friends, we had a small class. There was only 36 students in our graduating class. We were really, really, really close. And we still are. We still talk to each other on a weekly basis because we're on a big Facebook chat and we all talk to each other. And so um, when I moved to North Bay and I moved with my girlfriend, we both took like that separation differently. And she's more of an introverted person. I'm more of an extroverted person. Right. I That's why I think I found like in Labrador, when I grew up, I didn't necessarily love it. But when I look back on it, it was really good for me. And right. I probably got places in my life because of how I grew up. Right. Right. But up in North Bay, it was very isolating, more so than this pandemic, because I didn't know anybody. I didn't have a social network. Um, you know, technology wasn't as it is today, where webcams kind of were just getting started right, right like there was not really a whole lot of uh this type of conversation there was uh, msn messenger that people would right. if they were on it they were writing text messaging wasn't really really a thing at that time so mm-hmm. i find the pandemic is uh this now is better than what i felt like in north bay in terms of isolation but when i grew up i didn't necessarily felt isolated yeah. I, I just because that wasn't that was all that I knew, right? Like, it wasn't- and when we were growing up, there was no like we didn't have a telephone, we didn't have any uh, any communications other than letter writing, right? The, mm-hmm. uh, and so when like when you move away, like I went to and Anthony to go to high school, uh, I went away in the fall, and I think I did get home for Christmas. But I mean, rarely did you call because telephones were so expensive. And even in 75, uh, when when I got married, my wife was from St. John's. I met her in college and in Goose Bay. I mean, she would phone home once a month and then speak for 10 minutes. It was like $20, right, to, for the long yeah. distance call. And there's there was no uh, there's no computers at that point. I mean, really, it was in the 90s and mid 90s before computers really could do anything from a personal perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was quite uh, quite quite isolated from that perspective, right? Yeah, definitely. Because I remember, like uh, you know, like I said, growing up, if you wanted to go to the school, you had to leave home. And the first time I went away, I remember Dad put me on the spring day. I was going to St. Anthony. And I didn't know where I was going or what I was doing. And I remember being out on the deck on the streets, just crying because I was I didn't know, you know, maybe fear of the unknown to some extent, but also leaving home. No, I wasn't going to get back very soon or whatever. And uh, it was quite traumatic from that point of view, right? Mm-hmm. To, to do these things and, uh, and to go there and uh, be away from home. Yeah, you can do hard things. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Hard. Um, again, I'd like to get back to maybe some traditional stuff. So this is, did you guys ever look for mushrooms or eat mushrooms? No, no, we didn't. What type of uh, wild stuff did you eat uttered in like blueberries, blackberries, red berries? Baked apples in terms of the berries. The other yeah. stuff was, was just basically animals and birds, right? 
So she eat Alexander Dome. Uh, yes, Mom used to get that occasionally. She also had a little garden where she would grow cabbage, um, but and uh, dandelion too, right? You could you could eat dandelion too. So, uh, but again, we didn't eat that very often because she grew cabbage. We had that instead or whatever. Like it didn't seem to be a. We've had it, but it wasn't very often. What did so you eat growing up, then? What can you remember your meals being? Fish, fish, and more fish. Lot, <laughs> lot of, lot of fish. Um, obviously, a lot of bread. Yeah, uh, yeah. But the vegetables. I mean, we we we'd always have you no know, potatoes and turnip and carrot and the, the root vegetable sort of thing. Um, not much fresh. And then in the spring, my uncle Doug had a store, so he would bring in. I mean, they used to have to, when they bring in the bread, right? It was called baker's bread, but I mean, it was, it was almost a treat because everything was homemade bread, right? <laughs> and uh, no, and then he would bring in fruit and that. So we had no uh, apples and oranges, but again, in the fall, we'd bring in a barrel or a case of apples and oranges. And then probably around after Christmas, they were pretty well all gone. So after that was like canned fruit and things like that. So we lived probably more of a, that type of environment and then the, the foraging or whatever. We didn't really do a lot of that. Like I said, other than always had lots of berries and jam and, and uh, animals like ducks and uh, you know, different types of wild seabirds and mm-hmm. uh, partridges, rabbits, uh, porcupine. I've eaten porcupine. I've eaten. Beaver. It's delicious. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It's uh, one of my favorites. Yeah. And seal, obviously, you ate seal because they used to put out nets for seal in, in December mm-hmm. and they would actually use seal nets. And so in December, they'd be out, you know, bring it into the ice and, and catch the seals and that and uh, basically using them for, seal, for the skins, right? So the, then the carcasses, they'd, they'd eat it or feed, use it for, for feeding the dogs too, right? How did they store the meat? Uh, just outside temperatures. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and like I know in later years we'd probably bring in a quarter of uh, fresh beef in the fall mm-hmm. and use a handsaw to cut it up <clears throat> because it was frozen. But if like something's in say February, you get a week of thaw or whatever the meat starts to thaw, then it was a mad rush to cut it up and bottle it, right? So mom used to do a lot of bottling also of uh, of meats and stuff like that, and we bottled ducks and bottled rabbit and all that kind of things. So, yeah, people out here are right weird about bottling meat. Like they says that you got to be right careful about it. But we always use to bottle meat at home. Yeah, there is. There are guidelines saying that like a lot of people now are like, even if I talk to my cousin Carl, he's uses a pressure cooker now for doing it. Right. And you bring it up to a higher temperature or whatever when you do it. But but mom always cooked uh, bottled stuff and boiled it like three and a half hours sort of thing. And, and I think if you boiled it long enough, it was OK. But. Yeah, I guess there's some some chemical that can get in it if it's not uh, done right or whatever. Botulism. Yeah. Um, what was Christmas like in Indian Cove? Um, Christmas was again it was fairly quiet because wasn't a lot of people. You did the jannying, right, and go down to it was only a couple houses to go to, but you did it anyway. Yeah. Um, and uh, now you go out and you get a tree. Sometimes you have to get it off the island to get a tree because there wasn't a lot of trees on the island. Uh, or, you know, sometimes you go down and cut two or three small ones in time together to make a tree <laughs> to build your own sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, Dad used to do all of that, but the tree never went up until Christmas Eve. 
mm-hmm. right? And so out here, when people got them up in October or early November, it's quite a shock. I do it early. I do it early. Because when I was younger, mom also didn't put the Christmas tree up until like Christmas Eve or a couple days before Christmas. And I remember that feeling of like, oh my God, we're not going to get it all done. We'll never get ready for Christmas on time. Like every year it always felt that way. So, and like for me, there's so many good memories about Christmas time and like that I kind of really want to like have it around as much as I can. So I put it up in November just so that end December and I don't take it down to almost middle of January because I just love Christmas so much. Right. Well, I we have so have... much Labrador stuff, right? A lot of it is the Labrador mummy uh, mummers and I got lots of like crafts from home. And so it reminds me of home. So I put it up early just for the good memories. And obviously we kept it up until after old Christmas day, right? Well, yeah, you got to. That's why it's here, up until middle of January, right? Yeah. Here are people throw them out on boxing day, right? So- I know it's crazy. <laughs> First yeah. time I saw that, I was like, don't you realize that Christmas is celebrated from right. Christmas Day until Christmas Day? Like, it's the Christmas season. And usually we got us a, a toy for Christmas. That was one time a year that we did get a toy. And they would either come from the Sears catalog or the Eaton's catalog. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the Eaton's catalog and the Sears catalog doubled double purpose when they, they ended up in the outhouse. That became your paper <laughs> outhouse. <coughs> so... That's funny. That's true, though. Like, yeah, you would, yeah, double purpose. You can't let anything go to waste. Right. That's right. So you go down there and these gloss sheets, you take them, you'd have to wrinkle them in your hands and soften them up before you could use them. And, and, uh, yeah, so that type of thing. And there's always apple and orange in in your stocking and, uh, like I said, a toy. And that was pretty well it because, again, there wasn't lots of money. There wasn't a lot of access to stuff either. Right. So, it was there, mm-hmm. and then you know, obviously, people got together, and uh, the adults had a few drinks over Christmas, which they didn't always necessarily do during the year, and that type of thing. So it was. Uh, Did they make their own booze? Uh, Dad used to make homebrew beer, yeah, from time to time. Not often. Uh, probably did that. Not not a lot. No, no. But was it like spruce beer, or did he have a kit? No, it was just making it. You could buy uh, cans of malt, and he, that used to be the basis for it, I think, or whatever. So, uh, and he did that even more so after we moved to Waypoint. Point. They had more time then, I guess, and more controlled temperatures too, right? Because when we moved to Waypoint, Point, we had electricity, we had oil, heat, we had you know, and more more people to drink with too. I remember Dad used yeah. to make homebrew. And uh, I always used to go over, there's a picture of me and, you know, they don't do walkers anymore because, you know, not safety, but there was this, we had this walker that looked like a UFO. It was like green and there's pictures of me over with my walker and dad had, has the walker tipped up so I can put my hands in the homebrew to make it taste good. (laughs) One time mom and dad were making, dad was making homebrew and I was an older child then. I was able to read chapter books. So once I was able to read chapter books, I spent a lot of time in my room reading and I came out, I was thirsty. I just needed something to drink. And I guess dad must've ran out of mason jars or something because he had beer in the tang jar, the jar that we used to make our tang in all the time. And because it was the same color as tang and I was just like enwrapped in my book and I just wanted to run out, get something to drink and run back in. I poured up a big tall glass of what I thought was tang and I went glug, glug, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it was a it was a strong tasting beer. Right? <laughs> yeah. 
so mm, funny. So. And you mentioned Janian. So out here, you obviously can't go Janning out in Ontario. They think that you'd be crazy, right? Right. And so uh, once I had kids, I we really have though like, once. Yeah, I've gone Janian to people that I've told beforehand that I'm going to go there for that right. purpose, and they either was interested in that custom or were from Newfoundland and, and had Janies before. So, but for uh, once I have a business out here in Ursa parade. And so I went dressed up as mummers one year and it was the same year that Donald Trump got elected. Right. And so everybody thought that we were Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I had to do a lot of like damage control after that, like posting articles about what this was. And people were like posting pictures like WTF. Why is this happening? Where is this world coming to that? They would have this in a Christmas parade, <laughs> but I've done it every year since. And some years, like uh, I've done it where we just walked in other years. I've like decorated boat. Uh, so, like one of the local guys has a boat and we decorated it and, uh, last year, I made a puffin costume for my husband, and I got him to stand up as dressed up as a puffin. And we had Janie's there. Yeah, there's quite a few Newfoundlanders in this area, yeah. or people that had been there. So there was one couple in particular would have a Christmas party every year, and we went out. We got a couple people actually from from this area to go with us and dressed up and went out to their house uh, for their went to their party dressed as Janie's or Mummers or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. 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 But yeah, this yeah. is a, that's a tradition that's gone on a lot of other parts of the world. Like Boston has a, a Janney mummering parade that at certain or used to anyway at certain times of the year. It wasn't yeah. at Christmas, but it was at a different time. Yeah. And there was the one I think in Philadelphia too. Yeah. Um, like when you look it up, but it's um I I like the I like the idea yeah. of the silliness of it. Like uh, right. it, it's just just to be silly. Like there's no right. other exactly, yes. no other reason. So yeah, yeah I made got my son to wear a lampshade one time. <laughs> yeah. So we're, I'm gonna do it now. There's a new store that just opened up during the pandemic downtown, and it's a bunch of newfies that own it. So I'm gonna see, and there is a restaurant in town called the Goofy Newfie. So I'm I've gonna eaten see at the Goofy Newfie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. not bad, but they didn't. Their cook was from Newfoundland at the time when I was there, and their jigs dinner just didn't taste like jigs dinner. Well, like it they was, really when I was there, the meat was undercooked and very salty. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's not the person who was cooking wasn't from Newfoundland, and he wouldn't have things prepared the same way. Like what they really wants to do is have somebody go in there and cook it on Sunday, and and then say like Sunday dinner. Yeah. This is how many tickets you have for it, and then you just eat yeah. it. Because I would definitely go down there for Sunday dinner. Um, but if it, only if it was cooked okay. <laughs> You're also uh, not too far from Cambridge. There's a lot of Newfoundlanders in Cambridge. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's not that far. I've gone down to Stoyles, Fish and Chips. Yeah. I usually I make a trip down there every year <clears throat> yeah. to get some stuff. Um, up in Harrison, there's a Newfie store up there, too. And so I usually make a trip up to Harrison. It's 45 minutes north of me. Um, I usually make at least one trip a year to get Christmas gifts. Um, right. but they also got like Capelin and they got like red berries. And have you been to the freezer land in Brampton? No, I've not. That's probably the biggest one around that I've seen. Yeah. Uh, there's two ladies from Codroy Valley, uh, bought out this guy. The reason it's called freezer land. This guy used to free sell deep freezers. He started bringing in some Newfoundland products. And these two ladies from Codroy Valley went and bought them out. 
So they got you know, the salt beef riblets, sunrise bologna, uh, cod fillets, cod tongues, cod cheeks. Uh, you know, uh, they carry some of the, uh, oh, I'm trying to think the name now, the, like the snowballs and the cookies and that from uh, Chapman, Chapman's or something. Yep. I think yep. in there. All the pick, you know, they used to have the pickles and you know, fossils cream and all the purity products. That's that's probably the biggest store I've seen. I've been to Stoyles. I've been to just um, one. Uh, I dropped into up in Fennel Falls on the this past fall, so but they just carry a little bit of stuff or whatever. They're in a corner of a restaurant, right? But mm-hmm. but uh, Freezerland in Brampton is uh, worth a visit. When I wonder if I can bring in some purity <clears throat> products because I loves me some peppermint knives and jam jams. Like, yeah, delicious. <laughs> Yeah, you'd probably have to find a distributor. Like I know, uh, like Blue Boy Foods in Newfoundland, uh, they're the distributor for Chalkers products, like the salt beef and things. Mm -hmm. And so they're the ones that supply like Sobeys chain or whatever and with stuff like that. And um, but yeah, I've I've been looking for Newfoundland stores wherever, and unfortunately in Ottawa there isn't any. No, and. uh, so they're hard to find. I'm not used to talking this long, so my voice is uh, going on me. <clears throat> oh, we soon we soon wrap up. Usually, I'm on about an hour. I uh, my voice yesterday was hoarse from talking about the vaccine. <laughs> I was talking yeah. to so many people about the vaccine yesterday. I came home for and I said to my husband, I said, I don't even think I can talk anymore. I've just been talking and talking and talking. <laughs> yeah, 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 very much so. So, yeah. uh, how long have you been in Fergus now? I moved down here in 2013. And um, I wanted to have our kids grow up in a place that was smaller than Ottawa. I didn't like the idea of, and so just so that our listeners know, uh, I met Dave at the Ottawa Society, the Labrador Ottawa Society. No, Mm. uh, it's the Ottawa Society. uh, Bill Ronke's Christmas party, right? Yes, Bill Ronke's Christmas party, but it wasn't Bill. It would have been Todd at the time, I suppose. Well, Todd Russell was there, but Bill Rompke was the one at the time that was advertising Hosting it. it? That was, okay. That was uh, organizing it or whatever. But mm-hmm. Todd Russell was there. And uh, I went up one year later to Yvonne Jones or whatever. She had it one year, but I don't think it's happening anymore or whatever. Well, with the pandemic and all, I don't know. No, but I think, uh, I think it probably stopped even before that. Or... Well, the Labrador Society kind of fizzled out. Yeah. Um. So, like, there was older members and then younger members and then like me and Brandon moved away. I don't know if anybody like who from that original group is kind of left there. Um, but it, it was a nice party and it was nice to get a, a rant with like get together with a bunch of people that was from home. Right. Um, but yeah, I lived up in Ottawa for a bit and I didn't find any Newfoundland stores, but there is a fiddle group that gets together at one of the bars that's on bank street the Royal Oak on bank street. And okay. they were from the East coast. Like they were from Nova Scotia. And so I used to go there on Sundays. It was free. I just used to go and uh, listen to fiddle music. Um, that was really the Royal Oak on bank street. I knew the one on Wellington, but okay. Just mm. out with and they had, the, I think it's called the Cape Breton fiddle group actually. And yeah. they have, uh, they sometimes do square dances and then I never got it to a square dance, but um but they do square dances and they do like a bunch of pedal stuff, but I never found that was the most East coast ish thing. Yeah. I sometimes would go to British stores and they would have things like the Lee snowballs, which would yes. be similar, but yeah. 
not quite the same as the snowballs that we have at home. Yeah. So yeah, it was quite, uh, quite interesting. Ottawa is, is sort of, um, because there's so much government there, it's almost a different community than anywhere else, right? They're almost isolated from everything that goes on in the world, like in the pandemic, because of all the government jobs and things, right? They're not really affected the same way no. as a lot of the communities. So it's a very nine so to five bedroom community too. I found like, I thought I was moving to a big city. It would be like busy all the time, but St. John's Newfoundland had more going on in Ottawa. Like, yes. or maybe yeah. I was just running in the wrong cities, but you could go out in St. John's any day of the week and find several places with live music, but right. it wasn't the same in Ottawa or I just didn't find those places when I lived there. It used there. to be a joke about Ottawa, about how they roll up the streets at five o'clock in the evening. It's not and, a joke. It's for real. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I think it's because again, with all the office buildings downtown, it's very mm-hmm. vibrant during the daytime, but everybody leaves at five o'clock and goes out to their bedroom communities, right? To, uh, yeah. For the evening, so there's not a lot happening downtown. I think the market is a little bit more lively now, maybe, but uh, but there's not a lot happening there. No, not the same, not yeah. the same. It's a beautiful place, so like my, I have a friend from Newfoundland who lives in Ottawa, and he said that he chose to live in Ottawa. He said because this is where all our tax dollars is going for yeah. services and to make the place look nice and beautiful. So I might as well take advantage of it because yeah. it is very beautiful. The tulips, yeah. we always used to go for the tulip festival yeah. at this time of year. It's so nice to see all the tulips there. And yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful city. Are you like Fergus? Fergus is nice. It's a Scottish town. It's small. I can get anywhere in five minutes. And whenever I go out anywhere, I always see somebody that I know. So it's familiar because like, that's how you grow up, right? You, you know, everybody. So it's familiar for me and it gives me that kind of like community feeling and I'm very community minded. So like we give back to the community as much as we can and, um, and the community gets back to us. Too. And that's similar to us here. We've been here since uh, we moved here in 82. So our kids grew up here. And what I found is that when the kids got older and got involved in things, you met a lot of people through their activities, right? The parents through their activities. And then with the, with the people you meet at work and that. So you, like say you grow in the community. Uh, we're just a little under 50,000 here. So you grow in the community and you quite often will run into people that you know or that you worked with or something or other, right? So mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's good that way. Yeah. But, you know, it's interesting. You're talking about you know, getting back to the Labrador part of it. <clears throat> the... Um, I, when we left, like I left up there, my dad uh, ended up having a heart attack. So they ended up moving him to Goose Bay in 73. So when I graduated college, I went to work in Goose Bay for a while and lived up there. And we went up to visit the coast a few times, but the, and then I went away and I came up here and I didn't go back for a long time. And when I went back, you walk into that community and uh, I actually stayed with, uh, with Carl uh, there's a certain relaxation that comes over you. There's a certain familiarity or a certain like downtime that you get. Like you're just totally relaxed and at peace sort of thing that you, you don't get elsewhere. Yeah. It's, I think it's the love and acceptance of people. Like yeah. they just, you just are accepted as you are. Like in your love, no matter how long you've been away from home. Right. And, and people uh, growing up there, had to work together to survive, right? 
they had yeah. to help each other and they had to look after each other, as you mentioned earlier, to be mm-hmm. able to survive, right? So, but there's a certain, like I said, there's a certain peacefulness being there, right? That's especially in Indian Cove, there's still no, 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 because it's, it's a resettled community. There's nobody living there full time anymore. So it's, no, it's still right back to, you know, most people got some sort of uh, electric light system hooked up now, and maybe the hose are running some water, but it's still a lot of ways very similar to the way it was many, many years ago, right? It hasn't, uh, you know, you don't have the streets and the cars because it's an island, so. Yeah, yeah, and it's beautiful, and it's so nice to be in those places. It's almost like, have you been to Lansom Meadows? Yes, yeah. I had a very similar feeling when I was in Lansom Meadows. That feeling of like, gee, I can see why people would settle here. Just this right. calmness. There's just some type of energy to that land in that area that just, I don't know if it's, I don't know what it is, but maybe it's the heat that comes off the land and the wind that brings it over you. Maybe it's the smells that wafts from the sea. I don't know what it is, but there is something that's just like calming to the nervous system. Yeah, it it is. It's a, and I guess I think it's that it's a fairly flat land with all green looking out at the ocean and everything. So it's probably all of that. Right. I mean, it's uh, it's what you'd see into a picture if somebody's looking for a calm place to visit. Right. Or <laughs> yeah. build a spa. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Well, I think we'll have to wrap her up today. Now, that was a very nice visit with you. OK, thank you, Rachel. And uh, good luck to you. And uh, we'll talk sometime in the future. Oh, yes. Maybe we can get into some more of the history part of it, because you seem to be a bit of a history buff. You never touched on any of that, but you seem to have a bit of history. Well, just in terms of the, of the family and, that, and things like that, but not not much back beyond that. Like, you know, uh, I mean, where I was, what, basically second generation Labradorian, I guess, if you want to call it that. So, so uh, but no, the, the history, I guess it's, it's a different perspective because I'm a few years quite a few years older than you probably yeah. the same history that your father has. Right. But you can't get him to come on. Right. No, I won't get him to come on. So that's why I got to rely on, rely on you. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, what about your uncle Lloyd? Lloyd? He might, I should ask him. He would have a lot of, a uh, lot of history. He was on white point when we were there. And uh, um, I know you're trying to wrap it up. Uh, many also uh, was brought into white point to teach my younger brother one year yeah and that's how i think that's where lloyd met her when she was in uh, teaching my brother well he's lucky he met her she's an angel yeah she is a very nice person so such a lovely person yeah 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 i'll ask them and we'll see not everybody is is willing to get on and uh, talk but as you know it's not it's just a conversation between two people it's not hard yeah yeah, no, I, I was a little bit nervous about it too, coming in or whatever, right? A little bit, uh, but it's just because you know it's being recorded, I guess, or whatever. Yeah, could be. But yeah, it's not hard. I was trying to get my sister to come on and talk about copying. And she's like, oh, what if I say something I should say? <laughs> like, there's nothing, you don't yeah. need to worry about it. It's no, no pressure. It's just two people talking. And that's what a podcast is, really. Yeah. Like for podcasts, uh, they've been around for a while. In the pandemic, they've gotten more popular uh, yeah. as a way for people to feel company, right? But it right. really is just a recording of a conversation between two people. It's not meant to be this like uh, it's not meant to be like a news type or like a, a or at least in my mind and the podcasts that I listen to, right. um, 
I listened to one called Smartless. And it's uh, three actors that are really funny and they interview other actors and famous people. Right. And so it's kind of nice to hear their like little banter back and forth. And right. yeah, it's just, uh, it's just nice to have in the background, you know, yeah, you were talking about copying. I can't imagine today letting kids go and do what we did. Like we'd be down there for hours. So floating out around on the pans and everything. And, uh, and uh, you know, nobody was checking on us. See nobody. No, mm -mm. just if you fell in, you had to get up and go up. That was it, right? <laughs> yep, get warm. Yeah. We used to go across the water all the time on skidoo. Like yeah. that would be what you do in the spring of the year is just go out right. and skip water on the skidoo all the time. I never, we, like, I don't know if many girls went in copying ice pans, but uh, mostly it was the boys that would be out doing it, egging each other on, that type of thing, right? I was talking about cobby. When you go out and cobby, you play with your... um like you make mud cakes and you go out and oh, play yeah, games, okay. that yeah. type of stuff. Yeah. We used to have uh, up in the bay, you know, those old cast iron stoves and stuff. Right. We used to have them there and pretend you're making a fire and pretend you're making soup and you don't pretend you're serving people and you put everything out and you use little rocks to decorate stuff and yeah. Yeah. us And yeah, we used to spend hours playing copy. Yeah. We call it play house now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But yeah. I, okay. We also referred to the jumping on the ice pan that is copying too. We used copying for that. Yeah. I don't know why, but <clears throat> I don't know either. I don't know. Uh, is there anything like coping, copying? Yeah. Uh, but copy, I don't know if it's like, I don't know why they would say is B as in Bob and copy as P as in Peter. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why uh, they called it that. But yeah, that was is that what you call it in Fox Harbor or did you? Yeah, we used to call it copy and ice pans down yeah. down the harbor. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, sure, the ice goes out too early. Yes. Yeah. They wouldn't be able to do it anyways. Right. Mm. Especially this year, uh, from what I understand. Yeah. Sometimes the harbor don't even catch over. Right. Hard to believe. Yeah, it's quite different. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Anyway, Sir Dave, I'll have you on oh. again sometime. Thank you so oh. much for your time today. Okay, you have a great weekend. You too. Take care. Bye. Bye. And that's our cue. Thank you for joining us today on Put the Kettle On, a Labrador podcast. My name is Rachel Luther. Thank you to our guests for taking a spell with me today. If you are interested in being a guest or know someone you would like to hear from, please reach out to me on Facebook and share this podcast with your friends and family. Until next time, keep safe, love each other, and take care.